Good morning, church. You can go ahead and grab your Bibles, open those up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. We're going to give a, a few introductory thoughts about this book, but my first thought is this. It's a phrase, and I would like you to repeat after me, please. Let's go. Let's Let's try it again. Caught you off guard. Here we go. Let's go. Now, I've got uh, my son, who's roommate from Florida. Um, This young man, he went through college. We've got to know him very well, being our our son's roommate. Uh, He is now married. He's grown up. He, He has a ministry that he serves in. But that was always his phrase. You'd see, you'd see Josh, and Josh's like, let's go, man, let's go. It's like, let's go. And it was like the phrase you would maybe hear in sports, you'd hear out tossed around with other people. But with Josh, it was just like this common phrase. And when I look at the book of Acts, that's what I think. It's that book of let's go. It's like, it's like we've, we've seen well, we've heard all about what God has done and who he is in the Old Testament. We get the New Testament and we, we discover his son, Jesus Christ. And then we get to the book of Acts and it's like the Holy Spirit says, all right, let's go. Let's go. And you look at the book of Acts and, and have you ever wondered what the Bible would be without the book of Acts? The New Testament, let's go there. Can you imagine what the New Testament would be without the book of Acts? You've got these great stories about Jesus and then he dies on the cross, he resurrects from the dead, and then all of a sudden you go into Romans, and there's this guy by the name of Paul who's telling people about the gospel. And it's like, how did, that, how did he get, who's Paul? How did he get to Rome? And what are all these other little letters about? Like, where, where do those come from? See, Acts is sort of the bridge there that, that, that helps us understand where all those other books come from. And it reveals how the, the good news of Jesus Christ spread from Jerusalem out through all these small places, these small cities, into Rome. So we, we need this book to help us connect. And as some of the, uh, your Bibles you, you read, it says, it's the Acts of the Apostles. So it's like, oh, so it's, it's really what these apostles did. It's just more than that. In this book, we're going to discover the, the, the words of God are going to be demonstrated by the Holy Spirit through these men and women uh, in history. You know, sometimes we look at this book and we see it like, well, this is the manual for how to start a church or how to start a, a ministry program. We have a, a crew that's called the Acts 2 crew, based off of Acts chapter 2. And that's the whole thing of how can we get this church connecting and praying together and serving together and eating together. And that's sort of where the ministry came from. But Acts was never meant to be, here's the instruction manual for how to start a church. Acts is a part of history. What took place after the the resurrection is like the church begins, but the church has continued and is still continuing today. But we can look to the book of Acts and we can discover what God did. But it's not necessarily a blueprint for here's how to do it. The book of Acts is, is so much, you know, again, there's, there's a lot of introductory thoughts that could be given. And, and again, I'm, I'm doing a little fly over the book of Acts. We're not going to go verse by verse or chapter by chapter. We're going to come in and sort of, sort of land on the passage and sort of focus. What is, what is God telling us here? All right, then we're going to get going. Oh, wait, let's stop right here and let's stay a little bit longer on this passage and we'll get going again. And, but it's so important that we, we look here and see because in Acts is where Really, Christianity launches. James Boyce, who's a theologian and author, said this. Humanly speaking, Christianity 
had nothing going for it. It had no money, no proven leaders, no technological tools for propagating the gospel. It faced enormous obstacles. It was utterly new. It taught truths that were incredible to the unregenerate world. It was a subject to the, the most intense hatreds and persecutions. And it's like Christianity should have never started. It should have never happened. But it did because the help of the Holy Spirit launched it. And that's what we discover here in the book of Acts as we see the Christianity, the faith, go from Jerusalem out into the world. The author of the book, if you want to know who that is, it's, well, you can always go right to the front of your book of Acts and it says, author, Luke. It's the same one who wrote the gospel, Luke. Uh, many people say this could have been one big book, but it's like, well, uh, back again in ancient um, history when they were writing these books, uh, usually maybe on a papyrus scroll, it was said that practical scroll had to be about 35 feet in length. So if you would have put Luke and Acts together, it would have been more than 35 feet, so let's separate it. Now, is that why they separate it? Not necessarily, but they talk about that might be part of it, the physical limitation, uh, maybe determine the length of many of the books in the Bible. But we see there's obviously a gap there, but there's still the book of Luke, what Christ was doing, who he is, who he was, his resurrection, and then Acts picks up right there and continues on with Jesus Christ, but then the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is going to do. We know Luke was a physician, which means he's probably going to record things that nobody else is going to record. He's going to say things in a way nobody else said it. He will notice and pick up on little details. Uh, is that what typically a doctor may do, right? He was a Gentile. He was a devoted companion of Paul. So as Paul's going around on these missionary trips, Luke was with him often recording things uh, or just observing. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach, referring to the Gospel of Luke. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So pause for a second. Who's Theophilus? Some people are wondering. Uh, again, this man, he may have been a Christian man wanting instruction. Uh, some say he may have been a Roman official who was uh, briefed by Luke about the history of the Christian movement. Uh, regardless, Luke starts off giving attention to him, saying, Hey, Theophilus, I want to just point this out to you. And in his first book, Luke says, Oh, I recorded the teachings, the miracles, all these powerful things of Jesus Christ. And I want to sort of continue with this because he's still doing it. He's alive. There's proof that he's alive for 40 days from the time of the resurrection to this moment that he's about ready to share. There's 40 days where Jesus was appearing and showing up and proving that he was alive. Now, it's important to note that because of all the religions that are out there, typically most religions, if not all religions, are based upon the ideology or the, the thoughts of a person. Here's what I believe. I'm a, I'm a good person, and here's, here's my beliefs, and so let's follow this, right? Christianity is based on Jesus Christ. Not just his teachings, but who he is. Different from all other religions. And of course, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No other faith, no other religion has a resurrection. That's why we believe what we believe, and what makes Christianity set apart 
from all other religions. Luke's gospel describes the beginning of the work of Jesus Christ. Acts continues the work of Christ and into the work of the Holy Spirit. So again, these are sort of some of the introductories. We're getting into the first few verses. And we need to remember that Acts doesn't give a full history. What I mean by that is, we look at the book of Acts and we're thinking like, wow, look what Jesus did. Look what the Holy Spirit did. Now look what the Holy Spirit did. Now look at this miracle. Look at this. And it's like, it's like one after another. It's almost like there's not a day that went by when the church didn't have something amazing happen. And we get jealous when we look at Acts and we're like, man, I wish our church was like that. I wish we had some powerful things happening every day. The book of Acts was written over a 30-year period. So if you were, for those of you that are 30 years older, 30 years or older, Look back over your past 30 years and take some highlights of what God has done in your life. You could probably fill up as much paper and pen if you, as the book of Acts does with what God is doing, right, in the, in the church. So don't get too jealous here thinking, oh, I wish our church... Would. This, this, uh, this book took a little over 30 years uh, to take place. There's a lot of things that are not recorded in there. There are some smaller churches. The churches in Galilee and Samaria are barely mentioned there's an establishment of this strong church in Egypt that, that this isn't mentioned at all. So there's even some more things that are not mentioned as well as the things that are mentioned. And it's like over a long time period. So in Acts, we trace, we go back to say, okay, so what did Jesus Christ do at the very beginning? And then what did his spirit do? How did the work of Christ continue on in the lives of these people? How was he working? Look at verse 4. Once when he, Jesus, was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine, again, you're one of the disciples, you're sitting here, and he's like, he's like hey, guys, listen, here's the first thing I want to do. My first instruction, don't leave Jerusalem. I want you to go there, I want you to wait. I just want you to wait. I've got a gift coming. Remember, I promised you something. It's going to come. So you just need to get there and wait. And once you wait, something big is going to happen. Now, can you imagine the excitement of the, these disciples? At the same time, you know, this was the resurrected Jesus Christ looking them in the eyes with all authority and all power. And he says, listen, I'm alive. It's been proven I'm alive. And I got this very important thing I need you to do now. So be obedient here. Listen very carefully. Go back to Jerusalem and just wait there. Just wait. Now, the teaching that Jesus gave um, during this time he had continued, right, for 40 days. And now he's like, stop. He's like, okay, that, that's it. Just go and wait. Let me ask you this. How hard is it to wait? It's a hard one, isn't it? I mean, you say, hey, can you go do this? I can go do this. Can you go do that? I can go do this. But then now the waiting thing, that waiting thing is totally different. Jesus, you think about this, had nothing else for the disciples to do until the coming of the Holy Spirit except Wait. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. We've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that would come upon his people that would make us different and give us the ability to live a righteous life. Something that we try to do on our own. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to do this. It is so hard, isn't it? But that's how the Holy Spirit helps us to live these, these righteous lives that we, we strive to live. But here he is, is to wait. Now, here's something about waiting. 
If I'm supposed to wait for something, you know what that means? That the thing that I'm waiting for is worth it. It's worth it. If, if I'm waiting for something, it means that um, like birthday, Christmas, just think about this, especially the kids. I can't wait for Christmas. I'm gonna get what? Oh, I can't wait for my birthday because at my birthday, this is gonna happen, right? It's like, I can't wait, I can't wait because why? Because something good's coming, right? We just can't wait. So for the disciples here, they're like, I'm gonna wait. So what am I waiting for? I'm waiting for something that Jesus has promised so it's gonna be good, right? Here's another thing about waiting. It means that if I'm waiting, it's something that I'm gonna have to receive. Nothing I can generate on my own. You need to go and wait. Now that's wait, not work. Big difference. I'm gonna go wait. Okay, why? Because something that I cannot do upon my own power is gonna take place. So this is going to be something spectacular, right? And it's waiting is where we learn to trust. And it's waiting where it's where we learn to grow. And if you're like me, many of us have said to God, God, I'm tired of waiting. Okay? If, if it's a lesson to be learned, I've learned so many lessons. i got a lot of degrees and letters behind my name. I'm a PhD in waiting. I'm like a professor out here. I've learned enough lessons. How about what just happened now, God, right? Some of us, it's hard to wait. We don't like that. I don't want to wait for healing. I don't want to wait uh, for answers. I don't want to wait for this process to get better. I don't want to wait for the solution to happen down the road. I want answers now. I want healing now. I want now. And so Jesus says, okay, wait. Are you kidding me? I, I, I want to I start the phrase, let's go right now. But Jesus is like, not yet, not yet. We got to wait. Why do we need to wait? Because church, we cannot live spiritual lives without the spirit. It's plain and simple. You want to live a spiritual life? You got to have the spirit within you. You cannot live a holy life without the help of a holy God. You cannot do the things that God wants you to do without the presence of God helping you. So until you have God's spirit within you, helping you, you and I, we are unable to do what God has called us to do. You know, there's excitement in the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. I mean, these guys are like, he's alive, he's risen. They were pumped, they were fired up, right? And here's the thing, there's more excitement in store. Why? Because his spirit is alive in us. It's one thing to have Jesus walking beside you, it's another thing to have his spirit inside you. Powerful, right? Jesus told us that the promise of the Father is going to take place. What was the promise of the Heavenly Father? The coming of the Holy Spirit. It shows that we should wait for it with eager anticipation because it's coming from this incredible Heavenly Father. You've got, it's like, again, let's go back to the birthday present. It's one of those things like, I'm getting the present, Okay. But wait, wait, I'm getting a present from somebody who has unlimited resources. Oh, does that make that present sound even 10 times better? Absolutely. This promise belongs to all of the children of God. And this is something I've said before. I'm going to say it again because it's worth repeating. Not everybody in this world is a child of God. No matter how many songs you've heard on the radio or how many commercials you've seen on TV or how somebody is throughout, oh, we're all God's children. That sounds good and fun, but that's not true. 
Well, Rex, how can you say it's not true? Because I believe in the truth of God's word. And God's word tells me that that phrase is not true. Let me take you to two scriptures. First scripture being this. First John chapter 5, verses 1 and 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, has become a child of God. You want to be a child of God? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. Loving God means keeping his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Oh, it's so hard to follow God. No, it's not. I mean, it is, but it's not. You know what I'm saying? Because with God, you're able to do this. But when we make it a burdensome thing, that's on us. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, and I've told you this. This is like a birth certificate for all of us Christians, okay? But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. This, my friends, this is who a a child of God is. If you've placed your faith in your Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. If you've not, then you're not. It's plain and simple. And here's the thing. If you are a child of God, what's the promise for you? If you're in here this morning, you have confessed with your mouth. You believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. God says, I've got something for you. What is it? The promise? John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17 says this. Jesus says, I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate. The word advocate means counselor who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. Our Heavenly Father, He's so good. He's like, you know what I've promised you? You're my child. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And He never leaves you. He's always with you. Even when you feel abandoned, even when you feel alone, even when you feel you're isolated, you're never alone. His Spirit is there with you. Period. And if you're thinking otherwise, you're listening to the wrong voice. Because our Heavenly Father tells the way it is. This promise, this gift that comes, covers us. He uses the word baptism here. The way we baptize in this church, we we immerse you. The word baptize means to dip, so we take you under and we bring you up. Just as Jesus Christ was buried and resurrected from the dead, we put you under the water and we bring you back up. It's a picture of what Christ did. It is is an immersion uh, immersion into the water. When you come out, every part of you is wet. It isn't like you go under and you come up like, hey, my hair stayed dry. Oh, lovely. Okay, there might be some of you like, I wish that happened. No, everything gets wet. You, you, are, you are covered. And when the Holy Spirit comes into you, it, the best way is like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it's a condition, not just an experience. The condition of you when you come out is you're wet. When you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you are full of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of us are looking for the experience, you know, and I, I get that. You know, you've seen different churches. You're like, well, I, I, I don't raise my hands like that person, so I must not have the Holy Spirit. Oh, I don't, I don't jump and hoop and holler. I don't do this. I don't do that. So maybe I haven't had that experience yet. I'm going to tell you, it's not about experience. It's about the condition. And that's the way the Holy Spirit works. Much more. That could be, obviously, a longer whole sermon on that one. But this is going to be the last time the disciples are going to see the physical body of Jesus Christ. He's going to ascend into heaven. And at this point in time, you sort of wonder, like, do they know it? I mean, do they realize this is it? We've had 40 days of Jesus. He's probably not going to pop into the upper room anymore. I mean, we're all here. And, and he's, he's start, is, is this it? Hey, we got another question for you, Jesus. Um, is, this the, is the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Did you notice they realized they said our kingdom? 
This is our kingdom. All right. Next thought from these disciples, when you think about this, you're, you're wondering if they're thinking, remember when David ruled Israel? Remember when he was a king? Uh, remember when the Babylonians came in and, and they, they just messed everything up and they took out the captives? And, and, and uh, remember how Rome's been ruling? I, I, we just sort of feel like our nation's been under attack and we've had this other kingdom that we've been under. Jesus. Are you going to restore? Restore means take something that's already there and make it new again. So they weren't looking for something brand new. They're looking, are you going to restore what's going on around here and make it our kingdom? So we're, right, right? we're going to have a big tower. We're going to have a big castle. We're going to have all these soldiers. Is, is now the time? It's like their thoughts, again, are not in the right direction. And she's like, okay, why are you thinking like this? Well, there was a new covenant that was just established in the upper room. And they're looking back maybe to the Old Testament prophets and Jeremiah talking about part of the covenant, what was going to happen. And they're thinking, maybe this is why. And so they've got all these thoughts about, is this going to happen now? Is this going to happen now? Hey, Jesus, is this going to happen now? What does Jesus say? Look at verse 7. He replies, the Father alone has the authority to set the dates and times. They're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's like Jesus says, you know what? Sometimes you're just not going to get the answer. You don't need the answer. That's none of your concern. You do not need to know when I'm coming back. You do not need to know when the kingdom, not our kingdom, but the kingdom of God is going to be restored. You just don't need to know that. Does anybody in here know when Jesus is going to come back? Nope. And if you do, you're probably wrong. Okay? Anybody who claims to know it, you're probably wrong. Because we don't know. We, we're, we're, you know. we don't know when he's going to come back. He doesn't say when he's going to come back. He just says, you better be ready. The question is, are you ready for his return? Jesus can come back anytime. Are you ready for eternity? That's, that's the more important question. But here's the thing. He's like, don't worry about times and dates. What you need to know is you're going to get some power. Whoa, whoa, we're getting power? I like power. I could just see some of the fishermen where they're like, yeah, we got power. Then they look over at Matthew, tax collector, you need power, right? You know, we got bigger bodies. What kind of power are you talking about here, Jesus, right? Jesus reminds again that this power is going to be different. Matter of fact, um, they saw power in terms of the Romans and Caesar. So again, they're thinking maybe this physical power. God's power is a lot different. Um, take note, this, is, this isn't like one of those things you have on your checklist of to-do. Okay, um, spend time in prayer, turn on the power, um, you know, pick up power. This, isn't, this is sort of out of our hands. This is through God's work, and it's a promise that is received. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This isn't by your power. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it was said that the inventor of dynamite, uh, Alfred Noble, maybe you've read this before, um, when he was trying to figure out how to name it, when he created this, this explosive power, went to the Greek language and looked for a word that um, was said to mean powerful. And the Greek word is dunamis, dunamis, which is dynamite. Sounds like dynamite, right? Um, so supposedly they said Alfred Noble, that's how he got the name. I don't know if that's correct, but I do know this. The Greek word is dunamis, which where we derive that word dynamite. It's powerful. And this is what, what Jesus said. You will receive powerful, powerful, explosive 
strong power that's going to come upon you. When it happens, you're going to be my witnesses. See, we can try to be a witness for, for God. We can try to do good things in his name. But until he's working through us, that's when we become real witnesses. And he gives us an idea, like, you're going to be, you're going to be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, and all the other parts of the world. And if you we read through the book of Acts, you're going to see Acts broken into three sections. Chapters 1 to 7, basically the gospel in Jerusalem. 8 to 12, the gospel in Judea, Samaria. 13 to 28, the gospel to the other most parts of the end of the world. It's almost like Jesus says, you're going to see this power happen. Then, well, Luke records it, and we see it happen as it's unfolding. You know, when, when, when Jesus said this, I'm sure some of the disciples might have objected to some of these places. We're going to go be witnesses in Jerusalem. Uh, did you not, re- maybe you don't remember this, Jesus. That's where you were crucified. That's why we're still hiding in the upper room. That's why we have locked doors, because we're still being persecuted in Jerusalem. So why would we want to be your witnesses in Jerusalem? Judea, Samaria, are you kidding me? Why would we want to go there? Those are like the wastelands of impure half-breeds. So why would we want to go there? But yet, God says, you're going to go be witnesses through all these places. Look at verse 9. After saying this, he was taken up into the cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he'll return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. I think it's important that the disciples saw Jesus go the way he did because then they weren't sitting there going, is he going to show back up at the upper room later tonight? They saw him go. And they, here's the awkward thing. I don't know if you ever just sort of read this and just sort of pause. They just stood there and watched. It says they just stood there and watched. It was like, he's gone, isn't he? Yeah. You think he's gone? Yeah. Is your mouth getting dry? Yeah, close it. Okay. I mean, I, they just stood there and they gazed up and just kept looking and looking and looking. Like, what's going to happen next? Do you remember what Jesus told them? Go back to Jerusalem and wait. And they're like, what? No, let's just stand here. Finally, two men, angels, show up like, why are you guys looking up to heaven? Didn't he tell you to go? Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Let's get it going, right? It's like they needed that, that prompting. And I think sometimes we do too as as well. I think a lot of times as Christians, it's like, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. God has given me his spirit. And then we're like, we're standing around like, okay, now, all right? We're supposed to do something else. And it's like, he's told you what to do. Go be obedient. But a lot of times as Christians, we stand around like, yeah, I don't know. Last week, I thought Dan Garpy did a fantastic job of talking about what it meant to be a missional uh, Christian. It's like to get out and, and have a mission, right? But in this moment, I'm, I'm wondering, what are we supposed to be doing? Are we just standing around? Or should we, there's, there's something else God wants us to do. For the last eight years, our youth group has been this. And what does that mean? Well, we've served around here. I'm so thankful for this, the students in the youth group and our youth leaders as they have faithfully served here in Wauseon and in the local communities. But for eight years, we've not gone outside of Northwest Ohio. We used to do mission trips. But for eight years... We've been standing around gazing at what's going on here. And again, that's okay, but I believe God's called them to more. So this year, in a couple months, we got 21 youth leaders and students that are heading down to Charlotte, North Carolina to serve. To like, let's go. 
and they're going. And they're going. Matter of fact, I'm going to have some of them come up right now because here's the thing. As we are, as you're sitting here thinking about this, what's our purpose? The, the disciples were like, hey, when are you coming back? Because now the time is, it's like Jesus is like, your role right now is not to know about the dates and, 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 and when I'm coming back. You know what your role is? I want you to go back. I want you to get powered up by the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to go out into the world and be my witnesses. That's your job. And I think sometimes we get confused about what God is calling us to do. And it can be so simple, but yet we're yet somewhat confused. And maybe we've got to pause every now and then and say, Heavenly Father, you've given me your Holy Spirit. You empowered me to go do mighty things for you. What is it that you want me to do? I want you to go on a trip. Okay, that sounds good. God, but really, what do you want me to do? I want you to go serve as a teacher or this over there. Okay, those, that sounds like a great career move. But God, what do you want me to do? It's like, maybe you've been told what to do, but you're still standing there gazing, looking like, maybe he wants me to do something else. Maybe he told you the first time, but maybe we didn't catch it. I want to have the students, you know who you are. Come on up. Don't wait for me to tell you three times. Actually, this would be the first time. Now the second time, but anyway, yeah, there you go. And come right up here to my left side. Um, again, we have 21. We had a few different students come up first service and share. And uh, I voluntold some of these students that they could uh, come up today. So I'm going to give you the mic. You're going to tell everybody who you are, your name, and what school you go to, and what grade you are in. Go for it. Hi, I'm Ashlyn Lamb. I am a junior at Delta High School. What were the other things? That's good right there. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm Casey Lamb. I go to, I'm a seventh grader at Delta Middle School. I'm Paige Morgan Smith, and I'm a senior at Archibald High School. I'm Gavin Holcomb, and I'm a freshman at Wasion. Okay, hold on to the mic, and now we'll just pass it back after you answer this question. Why do you want to go on a mission trip? Uh, I want to go just so we can help people and spread the word of God. I also want to spread the word of God, and I do want to have the experience of going on a trip. I want to go so I can help people who don't know Jesus to get to know him better. Um, I want to be able to serve others like, uh, like God intended to. Okay, hold on to that. Now, this may be a similar answer uh, to this last question I asked you, but of all the things you could be doing this summer, what are you looking forward to on this specific trip? Is there, like, uh, there could be a lot of things. It could be from, oh, I can't wait to play miniature golf, whatever. Um, but I, I think it goes deeper than that for all of you. What are you, what are you looking forward to? Um, I'm looking forward to getting closer with my youth group and other people in it and just to do something different um, to serve others and just get out of my comfort zone a little bit. Uh, I want to spend time with other people who love Jesus as much as I do. I'm looking forward to growing my relationship with God. Uh, I'm looking forward to just helping people and go, like spending time with other people in the church. Okay. So out on the table when you leave this morning, you can grab one of these if you want. It's got a list of um, basically the date when the youth group is going, 
where they're going, what they're going to be doing, and it's most likely going to change a little bit. Um, from Samaritan's Feet, which is an agency that provides uh, shoes for children and, um, and the homeless, to working at Still Creek Church with their various ministries within their church, to Hope Haven, which is a therapeutic uh, community that provides um, recovery uh, from various addictions. So they're going to be working with a lot of those different ministries there in Charlotte, and again, some of that may change, but it, it's on this sheet, and this is one of their fundraising opportunities. Like, for instance, this says $15 journal and team shirt. So if there's a way you would like to sponsor some of these kids, it's like, well, I'll help take care of buying a journal and a team shirt or lunch or gas. They're all marked differently out there with a little stone to take with you to remember to pray for them. Prayer is the most significant thing. The finances will happen, but the prayer is the most underlying thing. Um, and which leads us into my final question for you guys is, how can the church be praying for you specifically? Uh, just praying for like, that we can stay safe and healthy. Yeah, just pray for our safety there and back and pray that we all have a relationship, gain a relationship closer with God. Uh, to just, like, keep the devil out of this and not have him get involved. Um, just pray for uh, people to get out of their comfort zones a little bit and meet new people and just serve the Lord. So we're going to pray for you all right now. Um, safety. We don't want to be getting sick on this trip. Um, opportunities to reach people. You never know. We call them divine appointments. When you're running somebody, like, oh, that was a coincidence. We're going to be praying for divine appointments. Um, and, and just for uh, the people not only that we serve, because you know on mission trips, you're going out to help and serve others. But here's what often happens. You end up benefiting from it. And God works in you too. So we're praying for our, our lives too that's changed on this trip. So uh, let's just pray. Heavenly Father. I thank you, Lord, for uh, just a, a brief pause right here. For these, these students and their youth leaders, we've, we've been gazing up into the heavens like, all right, what do you want us to do? And we've done some amazing things, and we've, we're so thankful around here in this community and, and the youth group over the past years and, and how they have faithfully served here in this community. But now it's time for them to go to go outside of this community, to step out of their comfort zones. So, Lord, we, we pray for comfort. We pray for uh, them to stay safe as they travel. We pray uh, over sickness, Lord, that they stay healthy. We, we pray, Lord, for those divine appointments in which we're going to meet people we've, that, that just so happened to needed to hear a certain word that we were going to bring. Lord, we pray for those that, are, um, that we're going to be ministering to right now. They start preparing their hearts. And we pray for the students and the youth leaders that they will also grow as well. That on the last two days of the trip, when they have a little spiritual retreat, when they're going to be in a cabin for a couple of days and, and just drawing closer to you, that that moment will be a life-changing moment in which they, they, they come home saying, I want to do more of this. And, so God, I pray for your spirit to work through them in a powerful way. Lord, prepare them between now and then. And that uh, as maybe little things come along or uh, the devil tries to whisper doubts in their minds, Lord, may they stand strong on truth. And may they be prepared, Lord, to serve you in a mighty way. In thy name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. So... 
For the rest of us, what's God asking you to do? If you were one of those disciples standing there looking in like, okay, now what? And he's saying, let's go. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? Have, have, you, have you patiently waited upon the Spirit of the Lord to fall upon you and, and to put you in position now and say, you know what? I've got God's Spirit in me. It was a promise from the Heavenly Father. I'm empowered by the God of this universe to serve Him. What am I doing with it? I love Romans chapter 10, verses 13 on, and it says this, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And, and how can they believe in Him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those 21 that are going to go out. How beautiful are the feet of everyone in this church that when you leave here today, you decide these feet are beautiful because they're taking the good news out. They're going to be obedient to God. They're going to walk out of here and they're going to share the good news with somebody. How can everyone be saved if they've never heard the message? How will they hear the message if we don't go? God's empowered us to have these beautiful feet. He is alive. He's given you purpose. His spirit resides in you. You are created. You are God's masterpiece to do good things which he's called long ago. So church, my fellow masterpieces, would you please stand with me? You have beautiful feet. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Don't stand around gazing too long, waiting for Jesus to tell you what to do next. If he's told you what to do, let's go do it. Let's go do it. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the reminder as we go through the book of Acts that this is an empowering of your Holy Spirit, the work that you started, your son Christ coming and, and showing us what you look like and how you are going to, to love others. And then your spirit empowers us to go do these things, to live a righteous life, to share the truth with others. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you've now called us. Help us to be obedient. Give us that extra nudge if we need. Help us to encourage one another. And Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the examples of the missionaries that we are going to be having in and out throughout the next couple months, for the youth that they will be making their trip, and for many others who are obediently going to say, I will follow you if it's something as simple serving in the nursery to help them with vacation Bible school, whatever it may be. These simple acts of love are beautiful ways of being obedient to your spirit, your incredible, powerful spirit. We love you, Lord. We worship you in song. In thy name we pray. Amen.